Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Appreciate the snow. You sure know how to welcome a guy. It's great. Um, I was thinking this morning, uh, this is the third, the third kind of message in this uh, emphasis, and I was thinking back to the last time that I gave three messages this close together, um, and I was thinking about what happened. Actually, my wife reminded me of that, this last night. We were talking on the phone, and, and she said, um, you better be careful tomorrow morning when you give this many messages in a row, bad things happen. And, and I said, well, what do you mean? And she reminded me um, about a year ago, I was at uh, Mount Zion Wesleyan Church, Thomasville, North Carolina. Um, pastor Keith Carroll, Dr. Pastor Reverend, probably everything. Uh, Keith Carroll is the pastor there, and he's a Southern gentleman. He's like Bill Pede, uh, only with more gray hair. And uh, he's down there in the South. And, and he said, Chad, I want you to come speak for our missions emphasis at our church. And he said, um, here's, here's what you need to know, though. He said, we have three services, and they are back to back to back. And so the first service is at 9 o'clock, and you're going to start in the main sanctuary. And that's, that's like the traditional service. So we sang straight out of the hymn book, and uh, we, we kind of sang straight through. We sang three songs, had prayer. I stood up and preached. And by the way, when you show up at his church, he says, I want to introduce you to somebody. This is your security guy. He's, and he had an earbud in and everything. He said, he's going to be with you the whole day. I said, do I really need security? And he said, you're a northerner, and you're in the south. You need security, he said. And so this guy followed me everywhere. I, I never had a security guy in my life. I kind of liked it, though. I was kind of like, hey, come with me. And so first service, I stand up and preach. They walk you straight from first service over to the old sanctuary, and that's where they had the like, contemporary service with the band and everything. And so you go in there, you have service, you stand up and preach, and then you go straight from that service back to the main sanctuary again, and the room, the service has already started there, and you walk in, and they hand you a bottle of water, and about five minutes later, they say, ladies and gentlemen, Chad McCullum, and I was like, whoa, I haven't even finished my water, like, I need to catch my breath, and I stood up, and I was all disoriented or something, I don't know, but I stood up, and I, I, I just, uh, in our house, we call it dieseling, uh, Julie will say, Chad, like, what I'm doing right now is dieseling, it's just kind of like, I'm not going anywhere, I'm just talking, <laughs> And uh, I stood up, and I just started dieseling, and I, was, and I started talking Southern. I don't know any other way to say it. So I, I said, uh, well, praise the Lord. I'm so glad to be here today in Thomasville, North Carolina. I've always wanted to be down here in Thomasville, North Carolina, and praise the Lord. My wife texted me with it. She was listening to service uh, online. She texted me, and she said, what in the world is wrong with you? Like, what, what, is, what, have you, what happened? Like, and I'm like, I don't know. I just went southern all of a sudden. And I praise the Lord, Pastor Keith, brother, hallelujah, you know. And he's like, bless your heart, Chad. I'm never inviting you back and all of this. And, and uh, I mean, it was crazy. And so if I start talking Canadian this morning, uh, whatever that is, A and all of that, um, forgive me. Uh, uh, I may start talking southern. I don't know, but I can, uh, I can do it. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to open it. Um, to uh, where we've been camping uh, for kind of our theme for these times we've been together. Matthew uh, chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I want to say, too, I, I've really appreciated the times of worship. It, it's been very meaningful to me and the scripture with it. And just thanks to the students that have, have been part of that. That's, that's, it's been really great. Uh, Matthew chapter 9. Um, I just want to read it again. We're just going to hear it again. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. 
uh, verse 35, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep with no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the, the harvest is plentiful. We talked about that last night. The harvest is plentiful, but the, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I, I think this is a, a hinge passage in the Bible. There, there are certain passages where you can tell that what is what is being tied that there are certain things that are being tied together. One thing is being hinged to something else, and in this case, there's a hinge that's being tied to the ministry of Jesus that Jesus has been having, and now Jesus is saying to his disciples, "Look, there's there's something else there. There's something more there, and this isn't just about me. This is this is about you taking all that I've been poured into you and you carrying it out. It's a hinge." passage. It's a pivotal passage. It's a, like a swing point between two objects. It's this, it's this point in, in scripture where Jesus is saying, look, there's a great harvest out there and you all have been concerned about food and what's in my knapsack and all of these things. And I'm saying there's, there's, there's a great harvest and, and, and I want you to be part of it. There's a great harvest and I want you to, to engage in it. So don't just sit back and take notes anymore, guys. Like now's the time to engage in what's happening here. This is a hinge passage that takes Jesus' ministry and it hinges it in some way with the ministry that God gives every single one of us. Young, old, man, woman, doesn't matter, every single one of us. I also think that this is a passage that's kind of a good news, bad news passage. You ever hear these corny good news, bad news jokes? Like the, you know, the good news is attendance is up over the last three weeks, but the bad news is, pastor, you've been on vacation over the last three weeks. It's a good news, bad news. And, and there's no good news, bad news joke that's funny. They're all corny, they're all strange, they're all silly, so I won't bore you. But this is a good news, bad news passage. The good news is that the harvest is plentiful. It's ripe, it's white, it's, it's, it's ready for harvest, and that's good news. But the bad news, like, and it's not just bad news, it's sad news, is that the workers are few. I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't say that the believers are few. Jesus doesn't say that the worshipers are few. Jesus doesn't say that the disciples are few. He doesn't say that the kingdom of God has lacked any power. He doesn't say that there's a lack of spiritual gifts. He doesn't say that there's a lack of character. He says there's a lack of workers. So good news, there's a great big harvest. Bad news, there's few workers for the harvest. Now, when I think about this passage, my mind races to two scenes in my own life that I want to tell you about. One was when I was in high school. And I went to a little high school. There were, there were less than 20 of us in our high school graduating class at our little Christian school. And at my little high school, Lakeview Christian School, um, I was on the basketball team. And, and I know you're looking at me, and when you first met me, you thought, yep, he's an athlete, and I'm not, okay? I'm not. Like, it, you look up jock in the dictionary. I'm not a jock, okay? Like, I'm not an athlete. I'm looking forward to seeing hockey. I'm telling you right now, I'm looking forward to that. Hoping, yeah. <laughs> 
hoping a fight breaks out. I'm going to just kind of be personal on every minute, but maybe not. Um, I'll never get invited back. So uh, when I was playing basketball, they, they were only seven of us on our team at the start of the season. You know, those of you that are Canadian, basketball is a game. You have five players. Just want you to know. And so uh, there were seven of us on the team. One guy blew out his ACL, and so then there were only six of us. I was the sixth man on a, on a, on a team of six. Like, that, that's what I was. It, it was not a pretty sight. I averaged, this is hard to do, I averaged a half a point a game for my entire basketball career. Do you know how hard you have to work to average a half a point a game? It's unbelievable. I told my son Chase the other day, he loves basketball. I said, Chase, you don't, just so you know, like the DNA is not in your favor. And he said, why? And he was telling me in his class, there was a, the, the dad of one of the kids in his class was Mr. Basketball for the state of Indiana, best player in the state of Indiana. The dad of another kid in his class played professional basketball for the Miami Heat. And then my dad, and then Chase said to me, Dad, how many points did you average when you played high school basketball? I said, a half a point a game. I said, you might want to work on your studies, is what I told him. So, <laughs> half a point a game. We go out, we're playing this game, and two of our guys fouled out. And so we ended up only with four players with about four minutes to go. And I learned something. I learned something really valuable that day. According to Indiana high school basketball rules, you can actually play the game with four players. You can't. I also learned that playing the game four against five isn't fun at all. It's no fun. Because there's a job to be done, but the workers are few. The workers are few. And everything in you thinks, man, we need more people on the, game, on the court. Everything in you says, we need more people in the mix. But, but you're sitting there, and in that case, you can't do anything about it because you're playing four on five. You're playing shorthanded. I also think about a time where my son Miles is nine years old. And Miles um, has a really keen kind of spiritual heart. I, I don't know how else to describe it. He's a, he's a real sensitive kid. And Miles one night said to me, when I was tucking him in, I, I, I will always touch him on the chest. I'll always pat him on the chest. I'll say, anything in there you want to pray about? Anything in there you want to talk about? And, and Miles said um, one night to me, he said, Dad, question. I said, I said what's that? He said, um, what's a missionary? And, and this was like before I even had joined Global Partners. And, and I said to him, I said, well, what do you think a missionary is? And he said, I think a missionary is someone who, who says yes to Jesus and then goes different places all around the world and tells other people about Jesus. And I said, well, that's interesting. That's, I said, do you have to go other places around the world or, or can you be a missionary like in your own town? And he said, well, I would guess you could be a missionary in your own town if you were really telling people about Jesus. And I said, well, that's a pretty good definition of a missionary. I said, is it easy to be a missionary? No. He said, I think it's hard to be a missionary. Because he said, there's times that you're probably alone, and there's times that, you're, that you, you know, your friends aren't around. And so I would think it'd be kind of a tough thing. And then you fast forward the tape, and Miles said to me a few weeks later, he said, Dad, I've been thinking more about that missionary thing. And I, I said, what's that? And he said, I, I've been thinking, if telling people about Jesus... And them saying yes to Jesus, this is a nine-year-old kid, means that they get to go, go to heaven, then, then why wouldn't everybody want to be a missionary? Why wouldn't everybody want to do that? Like if, if, if you living your life intentionally focused on others would, would mean that, you could, that those others could say yes to Jesus and, and go to heaven, why wouldn't everyone want to do that? I said, That's a really, really good question, Miles. 
You fast forward the tape, and Miles came home from school one day, and, and this was after we joined Global Partners, and Miles came home, and he said, Dad, I know, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we've been through a lot. Like, he, he wanted to be a doctor. He wanted to be a professional basketball player. It's likely not going to happen. Probably has a better shot of being a professional hockey player, to be honest. Like, you know, a lot, he can't even skate, I can just tell you right now. But, like, all these things, he's, he's, we've heard a lot. But he came home one day. He said, I know what I want to be. I know what I want to be when I grow up. I said, what do you want to be? He said, I, I want to be a missionary. I said, you do? He said, in fact, Dad, I'm a missionary right now. I said, whoa, wait. Time out. Like, you're eight years old at this point. Like, time out. Like, where are you a missionary to? He said, Hazel Dell Elementary School, Noblesville, Indiana, to my class. And he said, today I told my friend about Jesus. And I was so proud as a dad. I was like, you're the greatest kid in the whole wide world. And then he went in the other room and punched his brother in the mouth, you know. And so <laughs> I, I was like, you're the greatest kid. And, and he came home a couple days later. And, and, and he said, hey, Dad, I've been thinking. I said, what's that? He said, um, in, in your office, you have those trading cards. I want one of those trading cards. I said, what are you talking about? And he was talking about the prayer cards for the missionaries. He thinks of them like trading cards. Like, I'll give you a Bob Bagley for a James Wynn. Like, that's how he thinks of it. And so he said, uh, I want one of those trading cards. If all the missionaries have trading cards, I want one of those. I said, look, we don't, we don't just give those away. Like, we're, like, those cost money, you know? And you know, we don't just do that. And, and, and he said, no. He said, you're in charge of this. And he said, and I know Dr. Jackson, who's my boss. He said, I know Dr. Jackson. You can take care of that. So true story. My son has a prayer card for global partners. He's, he's under appointment for global partners. We have accelerated our numbers ever since we started appointing nine-year-olds, I want you to know right now. Like, he, we're ready to enroll him at Kingswood right now. Like, we're ready to get him his Bible college degree and everything. Why wouldn't everyone want to be a missionary? We, we were sitting in, a year ago, New Year's Day, we're sitting at the Bob Evans restaurant in Marion, Indiana, and we're um, there with my dad, and I had told my dad that Miles wanted to be a missionary. My dad cried, oh, praise the Lord, we've been praying for him. We know sometimes he's mean to his brother, but we're just praying for him. And, uh, oh, praise the Lord, that's so great. And my dad was thrilled. And so my dad sits down across the table from him. And my dad says, Miles, tell your grandpa again what you want to be when you grow up. Like, just tell me again what you want to be when you grow up. And Miles, without even batting an eye, said, when I grow up, I want to be an Elvis Presley impersonator, he said, when I grow up. Like, I nearly choked on my pancakes. I want you to know. I was like, my, dad, my dad nearly fell out of his chair. And, and my dad said, where in the world are you going to send him? I said, Las Vegas, Nevada. That's where I'm going to send him. It's a long story how we want to do that. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. My dad said to him, I thought you said you wanted to be a missionary. He said, I am going to be a missionary. I'm going to be a missionary who's an Elvis Presley impersonator. And heaven knows we need those. I mean, I'm sure we do. Why wouldn't everyone want to be a missionary? Why wouldn't everyone want to be a missionary? If the harvest is plentiful, why wouldn't everyone want to be a worker? It's funny the things you write in your Bible... Um, this is a Bible that I've used for, for many years now. Um, but I have a really old Bible. And it's funny the things you write in it. Like in this Bible, I wrote in the back um, in November of 2011, I've been given this place of ministry for this time. I don't even remember November of 2011. 
Um, I remember this, whatever I do, may I do it to the glory of God, for the glory of God and the good of others. Uh, I wrote that the Bible is full of principles, not formulas. My mom's Bible, she wrote in her Bible, my top five, or my top four favorite preachers. I thought that was a little odd to write in your Bible. But it's funny the things you write in your Bible. I have an old Bible that I wrote this outline in that I don't remember where I heard it. But I've kept it. It was in that Bible for so many years. And when I thought about this message, my mind raced to what I'd written in the back of my Bible. These three points. Why, why is it that unemployment exists in the kingdom? Like, why is it that there's few workers for the harvest? And I think unemployment exists in the kingdom for the same reason that unemployment exists kind of in our everyday lives as well. Here, here's the first one. It'll be on the screen. Unemployment exists when work is unavailable. Unemployment exists when work is unavailable. So there's not jobs to be had, and so unemployment exists. And sometimes people will use this excuse. They'll say, well, look, I live in a town where there's a church on every corner. I live in a town where it seems like everybody's pretty much good. I live in a town where it seems like everybody's okay. But, but I think we've already established that there's plenty of work to be done. And you're at a place where you, you hear it over and over again, that there's plenty of work to be done. There is ample work to be done. And so to use an excuse that says, well, I'm not going to be part of the harvest because work is unavailable, just is an excuse that we can't use. Or unemployment exists, here's the second one, when, when the worker is unwilling. When the worker is unwilling. And this is frustrating. If you've ever known somebody in your life and, and you're like, look, I, I really wish you would go out and I really wish you would go out and find work and, and elevate, and this is what they just say, no, I'm not going to do it. They're, they're just unwilling. It's frustrating like in our everyday lives when we see that. It's excruciating in the kingdom. When the worker is unwilling, this is the person that comes to church on Sunday and, and they sit on the very back row, nothing against you guys on the back row, love you guys, I'm sure you love Jesus too. On the very back row, they, they sit and, and they, they fold their arms and, and they're kind of judging the whole show. The worker is unwilling. Don't ever ask them to engage, don't ever ask them to jump in, don't ever ask them to serve. The, the worker is unwilling. And by the way, we've all had unwilling moments. We've all had worker is unwilling moments. I, I have. I, I remember when we were planning this great big party at the end of the summer, this past summer, we were going to have our small group over from church, and, and then we were going to have a whole bunch of other, like our, some of our friends over, and we'd invited some of my coworkers over, and, and, and so we had all these people coming over, and while we were playing in the party, I was, I was um, watching TV and with a remote control in my hand, and my wife said, hey, um, we ought to invite Robert over, and Robert's our neighbor. He lives right next to us. I mean, literally, here's our house, and that door is Robert's house. And, and she said, we ought to invite Robert over. And, and Robert's a single guy, and we don't know tons about him. We know that he's from the United Kingdom, uh, but we were just, we're just kind of getting to know him a little bit. And, and I said to her, why in the world would we invite Robert over? And she's like, why wouldn't we invite Robert over? Robert doesn't do church. Robert doesn't do Jesus. Like, we're trying to build a relationship with Robert. Why wouldn't we do that? And I'm like, because I'm watching ESPN right now. That's why. And I literally did this. I turned to Miles. I said, hey, Miles. Like, he's the missionary, right? I'll give you $5 to go next door and tell Robert to come over for supper tonight. I didn't think he'd actually do it. Robert, Miles said, get out your wallet. I got out my wallet. I gave him $5. I've been paying people my whole life. He goes next door. He, give, he invites Robert over for supper. 
Robert comes to our house for supper that night. And Robert's sitting around the table with us. And at one point, Robert said this to me. Are all these people Christians? And I said, because we prayed for our food before we ate. He said, are all these people Christians? And I said, they are. And he said, this is loony, he said. And I said, well, they're they're normal people. And uh, he said to me, I'm really glad I'm here. I'm really glad I'm here. The harvest is plentiful, but the worker was unwilling. I'm sure glad a nine-year-old kid went next door and, and was a missionary to the, to the neighbor. The worker is unwilling. Anybody ever watch Rocky movies? You see, the, oh my word, more of us than I anticipated. All right, I forgot y'all play hockey up here. So, you know, you know like the box. And, and, and Rocky... Rocky 3, like there's like Rocky 43 now, but there was like Rocky 3. <laughs> Mick, who's the trainer, is talking to Rocky. And Mick says to Rocky, the worst thing has happened to you that could happen to any fighter. You got civilized, he said. The worst thing that could happen to you, has, that could happen to any fighter has happened to you. You got civilized. Remember when I heard that quote, I was watching, I don't know, it was like late one night and I'm skipping through channels, and I remember thinking, I think the worst thing that can happen to any follower of Jesus is that we get civilized. The worst thing that can happen is that we just kind of blend in and we get caught up in the drill and, and, and we just say, you know what, we just get civilized. And when you get civilized, you'll be unwilling for the kingdom. The, the unemployment exists when the worker is unwilling. Hudson Taylor, uh, the great missionary uh, forerunner, says this, China is not to be won for Christ by self-seeking, ease-loving men and women. Those not prepared for labor, self-denial, and many discouragement will be poor helpers in the work. The men and women that we need are those who will put Jesus, China, souls first and foremost in everything and at all times. Life, excuse me, life itself must be secondary. Of such men and women, you cannot send us too many, for their price is worth more than rubies. What's Hudson Taylor saying? He's saying, look, 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 look. I don't want civilized people. I don't want worker is unwilling people. I I want people that value Christ in this harvest more than anything else. So unemployment exists because work is unavailable. Unemployment exists because the worker is unwilling. And here's the last one. Unemployment exists when the wage is unacceptable. The wage is unacceptable. So people say, well, I'm not gonna take that job because that, that wage is not acceptable for me to take that job. Now, I want you to know something. I have never met a single missionary, it's true confessions, and we're all among friends here, so just buckle up for this for a minute. I've never met a single missionary who said, you know why I'm doing this? The pay is amazing. Like, I've never met a single missionary who says that. I've never met a single missionary that's like, you know what, I, I really, I could work on Wall Street and I could make 100000 but I'm going to make even more. I'm going to make even more doing this. I've, I've never met a missionary who does that. I've met a lot of missionaries, though, who sound like the passage in Psalms where it says that the, the workers go out into the fields weeping and they come back filled with joy. I've met a lot of people who have just said, you know what, I went on this missions trip and when I was on that missions trip, God broke my heart for these people, and, it, and I just have to do something about it. And they go out weeping, but, but they come back filled with, with joy. 
And when I was thinking about this point, that the wage is unacceptable in the, and the, the wage that we actually do receive, which I think is far better than any earthly wage, the wage that we actually do receive, my mind raced to a man by the name of Ermel Wilson. He's the only man named Ermel that I've ever known in my life. Ermel Wilson, if your name is Ermel in this room, I'd love to meet you, but uh, and if it is, I'd be curious how you got named Ermel. But Ermel Wilson was the very first, the very first head of Wesleyan World Missions, now Global Partners. Irma Wilson, back in 1968, some of you have had your church history class, you know that when, when merger happened in the Wesleyan church, they, they formed all these new uh, departments and, and new heads, and Ermel was named the head of Wesleyan World Missions. And, and if you ever met Ermel, Ermel looks like the kind of guy that if there was a stiff wind, it would blow him over. I mean, Ermel's just a, he, he was a rail of a guy. And, and Ermel was a guy, though, that every time I met him, I would think two things. That man really loves Jesus, and that man really loves people. And he was filled with more joy than any human being that I think I've ever been around. When he would pray in church, on Sunday night, we attended the same church, and sometimes in church, on a Sunday night, my dad, would, who was the pastor, would call on him to pray. And he would say, Irma, would you be willing to pray? And Irma would sit about a third of the way back, and Irma would stand up, and he sounded like a, like a jet taken off of the runway. He would start here, and he would say, God, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. We thank you for loving us tonight. And he would end by, by I mean, he was in tears, and he was like at a peak, like, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth on whom his favor rests. We pray for missionaries everywhere. I mean, it was, it was, it was a sight to behold to hear Ermel pray. Here's what I've learned in many years since. Ermel's had some real hard times. I mean, some real hard times. The, the office of being the head of the missions department for the Wesleyan Church is an elected office, and he wasn't reelected for his role. And H.C. Wilson told me one day, he said, you know what I always respected about Irma Wilson is I never heard him say a foul word about that. He always just carried so much joy and optimism because, because the pay for him was seeing people work in the harvest. I, I found an old, an old article that he wrote back in 1968, and in that article, he said, we need desperately for more workers for this work. What we need more are more people filled with joy and filled with optimism and filled with hope that God can do a mighty work in our day. And he wrote that in 1968. Irma Wilson, in my mind, is one of the most godly people that I've ever been around. And for him, the wage had nothing to do with money. The wage had everything to do with Psalm 126, that he went out weeping, carrying seed to sow, but he came back with songs of joy. Songs of joy, carrying sheaves. Like, like, look, look at the fruit that's happened. I remember the day talking to Ermel about missions, and, and I was telling him my story. I, I, I remember talking to him about, about Africa, and I was talking to him about all these rural places in Africa, and Ermel started to describe a road that he went down that led to a hospital. And when I was on that road, and I'm going down that road, I thought to myself, Ermel Wilson's been down this road. Irma was down this road before they even called it a road. Like, Irma was on this road when it was a path. Like, Irma went down this road, and he went down this road with, with joy. Irma Wilson was a phenomenal storyteller. And I want to show you, um, I attended his funeral, and at his funeral, um, you've, you've seen these little videos they put together, and they have all these pictures that they show and all of this. About This, this was like a 16-minute video, so I'm not going to show you the whole thing, okay? Just so you know, buckle up. We're not going to watch the whole thing. We're going to watch about two minutes of it. And 
and I, I, when he started, when this little clip started, I remember sitting at his funeral, and I remember thinking to myself, I know this story. It is my favorite Ermel Wilson story. Now, the audio is a little tricky, so I hope you can catch it all. If you can't, have your friend next to you clarify it. But I want you to hear this story, and I think you'll enjoy it just as much as I did. It's about a time, so you can set the scene, when he was a missionary in Africa, and there were no dentists for miles, and he had to be a dentist. And I want you to hear the joy in this man's life, literally just a few months, years, really, before his, before his death. Let's watch this together. He says, you know, the African people, they all can't pull teeth at all. They have to suffer and suffer the pain and misery. They have no dentist within a hundred miles and nobody ever goes to get it fixed that way. But he says, you can pull teeth and that relieves the pain. So two weeks later, they were, they were coming, you know, and knocking. At the back door, one last one or tooth pulled, and here a woman came up. My first chance to pull a tooth. So I got in there and got a hold of it, and I began to boom, 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 boom. And finally came out. I was so happy, I was successful. I got that tooth out. And then. Uh, I went back and said, now before you leave, I want to check and see if everything's all right in your mouth. She opened her mouth. I had pulled the wrong <laughs> And then I said, sure, I, maybe I shouldn't have said it, maybe I shouldn't have done it. But I was so, so ashamed of myself. But I said, woman, there's one more tooth in there that must be pulled. <laughs> oh, she said, I don't want to. I only got one shilling. Only got one shilling. <laughs> she said, okay. <laughs> two for the two for Two for a quarter. <laughs> What I want for every single one of you is one day, whether you go to Africa or whether you stay here in Canada or whether you go somewhere in the States, for, for every single one of you, I want you to be able to sit at a table with the people you love around that table. And I want you to be able to tell a story about being employed for the kingdom. Irma Wilson got to tell stories that nobody else told because he said yes, because he didn't file for kingdom unemployment. He, he didn't buy a lie that work was unavailable. In fact, the way that Irma Wilson ended up in Africa, he would tell you, was that he was walking across a campground and a man came up to him and said, Irma, you and Gloria just got married. Do you want to go to Africa? And Irma Wilson in that moment said, boy, would I. I'd love to go to Africa. And he ended up in Africa. He didn't buy a lie that said, well, I'm just going to be unwilling because all through his life he said, I'm willing to do whatever. And so he went to hard places. There were pictures in that little video, if we were to watch the whole thing of him by, by huts, and you say, oh, that's nice that he's standing by a, by a hut where someone lives. That someone was him. That's where he lived. And he didn't ever buy a lie that the wage was unacceptable. I visited him a few weeks before he died. And uh, 
And I remember, I said to Ermel, um, I said, what's been the most fulfilling thing? And this is what he said. He, he didn't say, wow, I've made so much money. Here's what he said. The most fulfilling thing has been sharing Jesus with people and seeing other people rise up to share Jesus with people. There's great joy in that. And I remember saying to Ermel, I said, Ermel, would you just pray for me? Like, I mean, I got, I got a big job. Would you just pray? And he's so old, and he was, he, he, you know, his speech was, was, was slower than, that, than, it, than it was there. And I remember, I'll remember forever the prayer he prayed for me. And I remember thinking, God, someday I want to sit around a table. And I want to be able to tell stories that nobody else got to tell because I didn't file for kingdom unemployment. Years ago, I walked into a church on a Sunday morning in inner city Detroit, Michigan. And it's a church called Perfecting Church. The, the pastor is Marvin Winans, pastor. And I walked into the church, and it was a large church there, just thousands of people in the room. And they sang a song, and the song was this. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. Touch my heart, Lord, speak through me. Or touch my lips, Lord, speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. I think a prayer like that is, is a, or a, kind of a song like that, a longing like that before God, is a prayer that God always answers. And I know he'll answer it uh, for you as well. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Actually, let's stand together and let's pray. And then we're going to sing. I pray, Jesus, that you would um, not allow us uh, any excuse for not being employed in your work. I, I pray that you would help us to put down remote controls to go next door. I pray that you would uh, stir our hearts for close places and far places, too. And I pray that our hearts would be filled with joy. I thank you for the life of Irma Wilson. And I, I thank you, God, that you have that you gifted him and used him all through the years. And I thank you, God, that his testimony lives on in our life today. So God, give us a burden for the harvest. May we come back, may we come back filled with joy. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.